Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from 360 Learning, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Amy Young about the role of a standalone L&D professional within an organization. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us. And thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Amy, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Thanks so much, David. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, So let's kick off with defining what we're talking about here. Uh, Amy, what do we mean by a standalone L&D role? Really good question. Uh, And it means lots of different things to different people. Mm. Uh, But in the standalone roles that I've had previously, I've been everything from learning and development through to HR generalist, to coach, to early careers advisor, to recruiter, uh, mm. to trainer. It's, it's all encompassing and lots and lots of different things. Um, and it's very dependent on the size of the organization that you are in as well. Uh, but when the, in the context of a scale up, which is where I'm at now at Snowplow, um, you've really got to roll your sleeves up and get involved. Um, and give everything a go within reason. Know your limits, definitely. Um, But essentially, you know, as as standalone, you're that in-house expert. You're that person that people come to for all things learning and development. And depending as well on the organization's understanding of what learning and development is, that's also something I've learned recently. Not everybody Mm. knows what it is. Um, It can be really awesome because you get to shape it. You get to be the voice for it. uh, And it's an amazing challenge. Mm. And actually, recently, I was talking to my boss about the podcast and coming to talk to you. And she was like, let's define your role. Let's have a think about what your role is. And we couldn't do it because she was like, Amy, Mm. it's bigger than learning and development. It's you do the generalist stuff. You do operations. You are a coach. So the sort of title learning and development is is almost like irrelevant, really, because it's Mm. so much deeper than that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's different to lots of different people, but to me, it sort of touches on loads and loads of different elements of the kind of full HR life cycle, really. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, uh, we got in touch because, uh, because I read a post that, uh, that you, uh, that you shared on LinkedIn around, uh, your role and, uh, and how excited you were about it. And it really piqued my interest because I spent four years in a, in a standalone role myself. And so, so the way you described it, uh, really does, uh, take me back to those days. And, you know, for one, one moment you might be in the, uh, in the, the nitty gritty in the admin. And then the next you might be, uh, speaking to your MD, uh, about, uh, about strategy and then every single thing, uh, in between. Uh, and what's quite interesting as well is that, uh, and we've got, you know, this, this almost touches on my, uh, my next question about how it's different, uh, from working in an, in an L and D team. Um, the what you've just described there about the the roles almost being amorphous. They well, they 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 don't uh, a role doesn't fully exist that is so fully defined. Um, but it also seeks it will it will encompass so much more. And it's sometimes it's it's down to our imagination yeah. and our perception and what we project as to what the limitations are. Uh, so so it's almost so it's really is down into us, but, but I've teased the question uh, and, and, uh, you know, uh, you've worked in, uh, in larger L and D teams, um, as well as, as well as this role. So what would you say the biggest differences are? It can be really isolating. I'm not going to lie. 
Um, mm. There have been times I've been in standalone roles. I think this is this is my third standalone role now that I've been in. Mm. Um, and and genuinely have sometimes felt like people just don't get it. They don't get it. They don't understand it. And so when there's pushback, as there often is, because really, if you're going to define what learning and development is, it's enacting behavioral change. That's really what mm. we're there to do, right? Um, you can get pushback and you can get people saying, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to improve this process. I don't want to change that. And then you can kind of feel like, gosh, I've got no one to talk to. Nobody understands why I'm trying to do this. Um, and a, a bit like what you said earlier, you're doing all the things. And so mm. you have to you have to get really good at context switching. And what I mean by that is that one minute I'm aligning L&D strategy to company OKRs and then the next minute, I'm coaching the leadership team and then I'm mm. doing individual contributor training on personal brand. And then I'm writing a blog post on well-being. Yeah. And then I'm thinking about, you know, what do I want, you know, the, the brand of L&D to be and, and what should this button look like when I do an mm. LMS? Do you know what I mean? So you're having yeah. to switch all the time. And it's, um, it's amazing. Like, I'm loving it, obviously. Otherwise I wouldn't be talking yeah. to you about it, but you've got to, you've got to get really, really good at that context switching and planning your time and, and things like that. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I remember um, that uh, that when when I did the role and it was um, for uh, a part of NatWest National uh, National Westminster Bank for our our uh, international listeners, um, uh, and it was in check clearing. So uh, so so a very niche part of the bank that uh, that didn't really interface with too many other parts. So my standalone was was in a almost like a standalone part of the uh, uh, of the business itself and so uh, it was quite high churn because it was uh, it was data processing uh, and so I'd, I'd run a, a week-long uh, uh, onboarding experience which really prepared people to do the job uh, and so I'd be running that for one week and then you'd get really close to a group of new starters and you'd perform some really strong bonds and then the week after I might be chasing up compliance or something yeah. and so you go from the elation of, uh, of, uh, of, of working closely with people who really I don't know, as you say, you bond with and you really yeah. feel as if you've uh, you've prepared them for for the work. And then you're in the nitty gritty of a spreadsheet doing stuff that I, it just seems a million miles away from yeah. uh, uh, from the bit that you were enjoying the week before. Highs and lows. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so you came. Uh, so so you said you've, this is your third standalone role, um, uh, you know, and you've, you've you've mixed that with with working in bigger uh, L and D teams. What we what were the key skills and experiences um, from working in larger teams that you that helped you uh, in your standalone roles? I've got one of those luxurious kind of squiggly careers that I love. Uh, I love and it's you know I started out as a primary school teacher what feels like a thousand years ago and that really that was the basics of curriculum planning that was the basics of working out like a lesson really what are we covering what are the objectives all that kind of stuff um and my first actual role was a much smaller L&D team and it's with Towards Maturity Laura Overton mm. and team and that role taught me so much about reading data, understanding data, storytelling, being a salesperson, being a consultant. It was incredible. Mm. Um, and I used to tell stories through data. And I, I always thought, oh, gosh, wouldn't it be cool to be on the other side of the table? Um, and so then, I, you know, the only way I could really get anyone to take a look in, because we could do a whole separate podcast on the transition from one career into L&D, um, mm. 
was was to start as an L&D assistant in a law firm. Yeah. And and that was phenomenal for learning because I learned every single thing I needed to know about the absolute bare bones of L&D. And what I mean by that is event planning, organization budgets, and um, yeah. you know, you you how to assess the needs, you know, does someone really need training? Do they not? And I was part of this bigger team of five or six people and it was um a, a UK team, but it was an international law firm and it was wonderful. You know, I got to do all of that cool stuff. Um, and that was that was really helpful for the learning element because mm. you know you get to understand so much more about the whole learning life cycle and that incidental learning you get from other people in the team that you mm. miss out when you're standalone. You know, yeah. people to share reports with and research with and and kind of who are as passionate as you are about what you do. Um, that that's really really useful. Um, and it's from that experience, I really think I understand this kind of end to end, you know, if someone comes to me now and they say, I want to go on a course, you know, the classic thing that they say to you, I can really understand what they mean by that. And am I the best person to help you? Or do we have somebody else who could help you? Or, or do we need to pay for this? Is there someone else that we could set you up with? Is there mentoring, coaching? There's all this other stuff that I got this exposure to, uh, through working in a bigger team. That I wouldn't have really necessarily known about had I only ever been in standalone. Um, mm. So I think that that's been super, super useful. Yeah, yeah, uh, that really resonates. I so I I was part of a a larger team at Lloyd's Bank, uh, okay. another contact centre before uh, before NatWest, uh, and I uh, uh, and the training manager as he was at the time was really inspirational. So I so I, after I left and I um, uh, after a, a period of uh, of time kind of uh, um, working in partnership with uh, with uh, with another L&D person when she left at NatWest I was I was on my own but looking back at it I was really pleased to not be in the shadow of Robin my training manager because I would think I would have been um, uh, uh, felt uh, a, a pressure yeah. um, from uh, hanging over me if I, that that I wouldn't be able to attain that. So it was almost as if by by being a standalone, working on my own without the you know the intimidation that I, mm -hmm. I think I was I was projecting onto myself. It allowed me then to flourish. And four years in that role, uh, having seen how an L and D team really works, I was able to to almost bud at my own pace and in my own time. So then when I left that role and joined another team, it was it was chalk and cheese that, you know, it was yeah. uh, it was um uh, I, I was a very different type of professional, but mm. you know, it, it's stuff like that 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 I, I don't think. One of the things that really interested me about having this conversation with you and, and exploring this is that I just think it's a role in L and D that just isn't truly understood. Yeah. When when you when you read reports or uh, or when you read uh, white papers around uh, new and emerging trends, what re what rarely is explored is how one person does this on their own. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's almost as if you see, well, training managers do this, instructional designers do this, head of L&D does this, and then you've got your uh, your uh, stakeholder management done at the highest level. But mm. when you're standalone, it is just you. Exactly, it. and you know, what what you said about that kind of moving out of the shadow of, of your previous training management and mm. doing this on your own, like I just remember knowing I was ready to do standalone after about four years at the law firm and this job came up at another organization and it was a it was a blend as it often is a hybrid generalist 
L&D. And I was like, well, great, I would like to broaden the portfolio, right? I can do the training in my sleep. Let's have a crack at generalist. Why not? Because it's always mm-hmm. wonderful. And I, I was just ready to go. And I was ready to just do this on my own and, and start it up on my own. And, and, I, and I loved it, you know, it, and it, I just knew that I was ready to take all the stuff I'd learned from this bigger team and pull out the bits I thought worked and then mm-hmm. have a go at, at doing it by myself. Um, and I do think that, you know, everybody should have a go at doing it. I mean, it doesn't suit everyone, obviously. Mm. Let's caveat <laughs> that. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that. But I do think it's it's a really amazing experience to really broaden your your whole kind of L&D repertoire. Mm. So uh, what would you say is the key to making the role of standalone work? Um, can I say wine? I won't say wine. <laughs> um, no, on a serious note, you get rid of that ego, leave it at the door. Mm. You cannot have an ego if you're standalone in LMD. You know, you've got to, you've got to do the thing, whatever the thing is, and just get on with mm. it. And, yeah. you, you know, like we said earlier, one minute you're, you know, sitting with all the execs and the board and you're talking about all this like sexy data stuff. And then the next minute you're like, press send on an invite and you have to just be okay mm. with it. Um, but you've also got to go out there. You've got to build your connections, gather your data, be really clear on what you want L&D to be known for in the organization. Mm. Be really clear on your expectations. Have service level agreements. You know, treat yourself like a business. You're your own consultant to all of your clients. Um, and I'd say the biggest thing to learn is that, you know, get over the fact that you don't have an L&D team with people with L&D job titles, right? Because now mm. your team is the leadership team. It's every individual contributor. It's every subject matter expert in the organization. It's everybody who's passionate or interested in something. They're in your L&D team now. Um, mm. Make friends, network. Just because you are seen as the expert, the L&D expert in the team, doesn't mean you have to do all the things. So make friends, yeah. get them to do yeah. it with you. Um, that's definitely key. Oh yeah, with, with without a shadow of a doubt, you might be standalone as you as, uh, as as you say, but but you don't have to do it all on your own. And if you think you do, you know, I think that 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 feeds into the ego part that you'd said yeah. that that, uh, that that you need to to leave at the door. Uh, I can't, yeah, you can't state enough that uh, that that uh, that relationships um, are are absolutely critical for this, but not so much for what you get out of it. But I think as a as a career skill, uh, it's uh, it's essential. Uh, and 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 building on that, in the context of your career, what do you think that being a standalone has given you, uh, and what skills has it helped you to build? I love that question. Um, confidence. Mm. I'm really good at what I do, and I know I am. Uh, and yeah. I've got plenty to learn, so much to learn, and I love that I have a lot to learn. Um, but I've also got this amazing creativity in my role to do what I want to do and collaborate with who mm. I want to collaborate with, and I love it. Um, I set my own expectations for what I think L&D is. Mm-hmm. Um, that networking, that relationship building, like I'm such a people person. I love people. I love humans. Mm. And, and I get to do that every single day and it helps that I'm working in. I do think one of like, I know I'm biased because I work at Snowplow, but they are just incredible. Like I've just never worked with such a, an amazing group of humans who are so passionate and so, you know, willing to learn and hungry to learn. Like they're desperate, you know, for more knowledge and they teach me so much every day. Mm. Um, but also I think in this standalone role, you really do have to be passionate 
passionate about what you do because if you're not passionate about what you do you're going to start to really resent this um yeah. and people are going to start to see through you if you're not authentic and building trust and you know living and breathing learning and performance mm. improvement they're going to see through it um so i think you know you can't really do this without a lot of passion and grit mm. um there are lots of great stuff in there, um, and, I'd, and I'd love to come back uh, in, in the, uh, the question after next uh, to, to discuss uh, a little bit more about Snowplow and what you're involved in there. But we're painting a very rosy picture here, Amy. <laughs> Is there a downside uh, to, uh, to, to working in a, a standalone role? Are there any cons? Yes, I'm tired. So <laughs> tired. <laughs> um, there are, you know, there's always going to be cons, you know, it, it's like I said, it's lonely sometimes, you know, you mm. can feel isolated uh, and you, you run the risk of burning yourself out, especially when you are passionate, especially when you do love it. Mm. Uh, you want to do all the things now and you can't do all the yeah. things now. Um, so you can burn out quite, quite quickly. Um, you can get carried away, get lost in all the minutiae of everything. And you can also uh, become a victim of your own success, you know, when it really takes off and everybody loves it you you can feel a little like you're on a treadmill um yeah. so if you don't set yourself up for success properly and maybe start thinking about right do i need to bring an additional person in do i need to build a team do i need to expand the role whatever that looks like mm. um just always you're just always going to be prepared for that part of it because if you do it right it will take off and it will be amazing yeah. but just prepare yourself for it yeah, I yeah, I think that uh, yeah, we have plenty in there. It is pretty relentless, um, uh, especially if you're going from uh, from a from a training room to admin to consulting, yeah. and then you know all you need is two two good consulting conversations in a week, and all of, all of a sudden you found that uh, that you're you're running two new initiatives yeah. on top of the day job. So uh, so it does take a, a lot of prioritization now going back to uh, to snowplow then i mean it's wonderful to, to hear what you've just said you know you uh, that you're fortunate to be working for the company would love you know we'd love to know a little bit more about snowplow as much as you can uh, share and, and what kind of things that you're involved in now from an lnd perspective sure so snowplow is amazing because we're the only people who do what we do you know we, we're a behavioral mm -hmm. analytics uh, organization and we're doing some really exciting stuff around data creation and how do we use data properly and how do we, um, you know, how do we really give power back to, to data teams and, and help them to kind of not get lost in lots of, you know, useless data and really make it make sense and help to drive mm. actual proper business impact. And the reason I love it is because it's so reminiscent of what L&D should be doing. It's mm. so, so closely aligned to you know, L&D using data properly, you know, we're not measuring bums on seats and all that rubbish. You're, you're measuring yeah. actual business impact and having real conversations uh, around, you know, what is actually working and what isn't working. And if I, if I was to define my role at Snowplow, I would say that it is performance improvement and engagement, but more recently it has also crossed over into organizational design. So, um, mm. Brilliant. Yeah, it's fantastic. I just, oh gosh, I'm just having the time of my life. I really am. And, you know, I look after all things training, obviously. So I run, yeah. at the moment, I'm running two programs, one for ICs, individual contributors, and one for uh, leadership. And it's really fun. I called it writing the code for leadership because I thought I was being smart. And, <laughs> and all the engineers are like, all right. Um, and so I look after that. 
And I do all that training in-house or I bring in, you know, SMEs to kind of deliver some stuff as well. Mm. And I'm very deliberate. So when I talk about brand and when I talk about tone of voice and what you want your L&D department to be known for, I'm extremely deliberate about calling it behavioral skills instead of mm. soft skills. I do not want to hear soft skills. I'm not interested in that. Yeah. Um, I don't actually want the word soft anywhere near L&D at all. And I think it ties in beautifully with what we do. We're behavioral analytics. Yeah. And and I look after sort of, you know, making sure we create this behavior change for the organization. Um, I also run change management uh, sessions and team stuff, the, the typical things L&D, L&D people do. I'm an in-house coach for mm-hmm. uh, Snowplow. And what I love about Snowplow is that SLT is so behind a, a coaching culture. They're so determined to make sure people are at the, the center of everything that we do. You know, we've got very strong values. They're part of everything we do. We talk about them all the time. Um, so people are really at the heart of everything we do. And I love that because I get to coach all day long. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I also do things like, you know, onboarding, uh, product onboarding, um, just about to start a project on succession planning. So I'm also heavily involved in calibration and um, like performance mapping and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Then I also look after the engagement side. I look after our pulse survey and our engagement survey, and I translate that into sort of tangible action. Um, gosh, there's so much. Oh, I'm also a generalist. So I sit on the... Yeah. So I sit on, gosh, this is ridiculous. I sit on the people leadership team, but I, yeah. I'm also uh, act as a generalist. So I look after things uh, alongside um, other members of the team. I'll look after things like probation mm. uh, or I'll support on performance improvement, stuff like that. So it really is just a few small things that I do at Snowplow. <laughs> but but it sounds as if uh, that context plays such an important role in, in what you're doing there. You know whether whether it's uh, coaching and uh, it's you know it's, of course it's it's bespoken conversational around uh, what's actually going on. But I love that what you just said there about uh, about the the leaders. Uh, giving them, um, you know, first of all, talking about behavioral skills, you are, you know, when behavior is such a, a key part, behavioral data is a key part of what you're doing. And it reminds me of, uh, of a conversation I've had recently with with another standalone uh, L&D uh, who's looking to implement uh, a new performance management um, uh, process uh, and language. And the way they're going about it is they are, uh, instead of creating a, a rating, a five point rating scale from the best practice book, they are looking at what the language is, what the language is that is used internally anyway, and mm. crafting it from there. So what do people already call like, exceptional um, performance? What do people already call just ticking along and what do people yeah. already call falling behind so instead of saying this is what we now call it saying what 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 is the general consensus about what's the language here and i think that that is so much more powerful going but you know but yeah. what you said there about what you're talking with your uh, your leaders about i think that we we hopefully we're turning a corner on this over reliance on on generic solutions because our employees have known for a long long time if it doesn't look and smell like it's going to help you in your role in your organization as as it stands as where you work mm. 
because it's too generic, then it, then it's not going to help you at all. And it's kind of Google's already got the generic stuff already sorted, but it's got absolutely nothing around how to be successful within your organization. And I think that too many L&D, especially in large organizations, look to plug a content gap with something generic. Yes. Where really, when 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 you're in a standalone role, it might be on a smaller scale, but because you're close enough to the people and the the uh, the the experiences that they are having, you can tailor and tweak. Um, uh, in order to, to actually affect performance, yes. uh, as you say, to, to, to influence behavior rather than necessarily just implement stuff yeah. and hope that some magic will occur in the consumption of content that, that then impacts uh, the way that work is done. A hundred percent. And you know, I've had, I've spoken to people outside of the organization in, in my personal learning network and they're like, oh gosh, you've been at Snowplow six months. So yeah, and I know we'll talk about tools and things in a bit, but mm. they're like, oh, have you got an LMS yet? No, I don't. I'm using Google sites. I've built something mm. on Google sites. Yeah, I will at some point bring something in. But right yeah. now I know that my people want a couple of articles, a few podcasts alongside some training and videos from me and coaching. That's what we're doing mm. at the moment. And that's what's working for them. Um, yeah. And we have drop-ins and things. I don't need something big and fancy, and I'm not going to start rolling out all these systems and stuff. I really want to understand what you need to help you do your job better and faster, because that's what I'm there to help you do, mm. right? That's my sole purpose, is to help you yeah. do your job better and faster. So how are we going to do that together? And what is going to work for you in the flow of work? Mm. Well, that, that's it right there. Run an experiment to see if it works and scale what works. Get smart tech in yeah. to automate what you know works rather than bring smart, like bring some any tech in so that people have got something to engage with. It is, it's yeah. absolutely a fundamentally different approach to L&D. And again, I would say that to that, anybody listening and saying, well, that's okay, because clearly as a, as a standalone, you work in a small organization, what you're doing is scalable. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I, I had a, a conversation uh, some months ago with somebody who said, look, I love, I love what you're saying about learning the flow of work, but how do you do that to a lot of people? And they're talking about an absolutely vast organization. He said, mm. but how do I do that top down? Well, you can't do learning the flow of work top down. Uh, it's, you know, it, 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 it fundamentally doesn't work. Yeah. It's well, I have to because of the size of the organization. I said, how many people are engaging in your LMS? He said, next to none. Wow. I said, so if you, so if, so imagine going bottom up, and, a, and helping a thousand people. That's a thousand more than you're helping from your failed efforts of top down. Uh, so it's, it's, you know, it sounds counterintuitive, but what you're doing is what smart tech companies do, which is experiment to make, the, the, to, to actually move the needle and make a, a real difference and use, and then what you might do if, uh, if uh, um, Google sites then, if you need something smarter for automation, then you go and get the stuff Exactly. to do the stuff that you know already works. Yeah. Uh, but it's, but it's, it sounds like it's a, a balancing act. And I know that it is from, uh, from my experience. Uh, you know, you've, you've got to prioritize uh, your, your budget, your, your attention, um, uh, your, your time. Um, to, to, how, do you, how do you manage that? And especially around budget. And do you have to justify expenditure? So I will always try and get everything for free if I can. Like I'll just caveat that, right? <laughs> I, like I just if it's free, I want it. Um, and obviously, I build a lot in house myself, and I use uh, subject matter experts in house too. I think I'm very fortunate that I work in an organisation that they understand the importance of 
performance improvement and learning and mm. they understand the importance of investing and the right sort of stuff. So I'll never go to leadership without the data to back it up, right? I'll never go without that full approach of I've had a focus group, I've spoken to these people, here's some qualitative data, here's some quantitative data. If we do this, I think this will happen. It's aligned to OKRs, it's strategic, it's not just, I've decided I'd like to buy this thing. Like that's mm. not gonna work. Um, and if you want to be taken seriously in learning and development, please, God, do it properly. Like, mm. do a full report, do a proposal, really understand what it is that you want to bring in. And remember, it's your money. Remember, it's important mm. that, you know, you've only got a finite um, amount of resource for the year or whatever. Make it last. Make it matter. Yeah. Um, and don't just buy shiny stuff because shiny mm. stuff, like, it, it does lose the shine. Yeah. Well, you see, you said it earlier that uh, that so so you you've used the term uh, performance improvement uh, a couple of times already, and then you've highlighted earlier that uh, that that uh, you want to help people to do the job better and faster. Which in uh, in I know from the tools maturity uh, reports, the uh, the the learner's voice from uh, from going yeah. back a few years, it was always the primary reason why people engaged in learning at uh, at work. And in um, in a recent report um, that uh, that been published through three sixty on learning in the flow of work employees again so it's the same figure about three quarters of people said mm -hmm. the reason they engage in learning and development is to do the job better and faster but learning and development a lot of the time provide learning content and programs to help people learn yeah. and you know you go no 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 you're you're not doing the the primary thing that they want to do. But again, when you're close to your your client, then you can understand that. But when you're fully removed from the client, you think they want learning yes. um, um, content and programs, but they don't. They want the tools to help them to do the job better and faster. And the reason is, is that that helps them to improve their prospects. Again, it's really, it's a really narrow, it's what, um, what um, Bob Moja calls, it's the yeah. tip of the sword. When you really zero in it's really clear why people want to get involved and learning and development get all this stuff chasing the shiny new thing and it's because people haven't engaged in the previous shiny thing because it didn't help people to do the job better and faster there was this gap between uh, and again it's it, i think it's prevalent uh, often by vendors uh, rather than okay. from from uh, from, uh, from in-house that if you if you buy in engaging content then via a little bit of magic, consumption of content yeah. that doesn't relate to the job equates to improved performance. Oh, completely. And I'm afraid that is a bubble that 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 bursts like and under any level of scrutiny and uh, you know and any level of scrutiny applied by uh, by employees as well because that lack of engagement mm -hmm. is because they they have an intolerance to stuff that they don't believe will help them do the job regardless of the uh, the marketing spiel of the uh, of the vendor. 100%. Oh, <laughs> I'm just so with you, though. Like, I remember I've worked mm. in organizations before where we've had a, you know, content provider and they're like, here's 100,000 courses. And I'm like, really? Really? Mm. One of them was cake making. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, I'd love to offer that if someone wants to, to look. They're going to go on YouTube. What am I doing yeah. that for? What am I paying? I sound like a, a lunatic. What am I paying money <laughs> for? A cake making course <laughs> for people um no it's it's you know it, it's just crazy and i think people get lost you know but i've got all this cool stuff i've got all these playlists mm. i've got this and that unless people unless people know that it's going to help them to do their job and it's going to make an impact and it is three minutes long mm. and they're not interested yeah that's right yeah
And, it, and, and again, it's not about it being micro learning. It's that if you if you truly understand uh, what it is that people are trying to do and what they're not able to do easily or efficiently without you, it's usually short. If you don't know what they're trying to do and you don't know what they're struggling to do efficiently or effectively, then it's really long because you start filling courses uh, with stuff that it might be. Uh, again, uh, it so much comes down to, uh, uh, to understanding what it is that people are trying to do with a performance improvement mindset, um, helping people to do what they're not able to do without us rather than uh, providing learning. Now, you mentioned also earlier, um, uh, Amy, that uh, your PLN is important, your personal learning network. Could you describe to us um, what, what this looks like for you and, uh, and how it has benefited you? Everybody who knows me knows I talk about it all the time. I'm actually obsessed. And I'm on Twitter <laughs> and LinkedIn constantly, purely because I just love engaging with people and their thinking. And, mm. you know, one of the greatest things that Towards Maturity gave me was a PLN. I still speak to my clients from six years ago and I mm. still, I'm still friends with them and, and they're part of that learning network I have that I'll go to for guidance and advice now that I'm in the standalone role. And I'm so grateful for that. And, you know, I think it's important that you, you get involved and you, you know, even if you, even if you're a little bit scared to contribute to the conversation online, be a voyeur, it's fine. Just mm. like listen in, just, get involved in in listening to podcasts all that kind of stuff whatever it is you know read blogs do that just get involved meet people the, the, the network out there is really friendly everybody wants to mm. help you nobody's going to push you away and say go away like that's rubbish like they actually want to connect with you and everybody wants to learn from each other and i think it's vitally important that you're connected ex mm. externally uh like we said it can be a little bit isolating and there are times when people don't quite get it and it's lovely to just have this network to talk to yeah, yeah, I completely agree. When I was at uh, at Disney, I relied on uh, my counterpart Judy at Discovery Channel a lot. Mm. Uh, my counterpart at, uh, at Warner Brothers, Jane, mm. uh, a lot. Um, and then uh, I was people would reach out predominantly in uh, in standalone roles just to yeah. just to just to have a chat, see what we we're up to, and uh, and and sense check really because you're right. You can uh, when I left Disney, I realised that uh, that my greatest skill was that I knew how to get stuff done at Disney. I knew how to get the right stuff done at Disney. And I had to challenge myself and thought, how much of that was L and D? Because because you just, you know, you understand the culture and then you understand uh the what's what's expected and rewarded there. Mm -hmm. Um but uh, but beyond that, it's good it's good to uh to uh to have a learning and development personal learning network to, to keep you fresh. And you'd, uh, you mentioned in a, in a chat that we'd previously had that, uh, that the L&D Collective uh, yes. has been used for as well. Oh my gosh, I'm so, do you know what? There's a whole startup scale-up channel in there and I'm just in there mm. all the time and I'm a voyeur. You'd think that I, because I don't stop talking, that I'd be like, talking to everybody. <laughs> but I'm just listening, I'm taking it all in, you know, like, mm. yes, I've done standalone before, but I'm in a brand new industry now and I am learning so much every day and I've never worked for a scale up. I've never worked mm. in a company with under 200 people and so many people, because the previous organization I came from was like 10,000 people, right? And so many people are like, ah, oh, it's going to be great. You're just mm. like, that's going to be so easy. And I'm like, it's actually harder. I can't hide. Yeah. I am so closely tuned in to culture to the nuances happening in every team also as an in-house coach it's a big responsibility mm. right because i know everything um and i i it's wonderful for me because it gives me so much color to stuff but yeah. you know i carry a lot 
uh, carry a lot of all of that with me all the time. Um, and it's definitely, it's definitely the most challenging, but the most reward. That sounds so cheesy. The most challenging, but the most rewarding role I've ever had because I have to be really close to all my clients at all times and really understand them in ways that I've never had to do anywhere before. Mm. And I think, you know, those those PLNs and those little chat groups and the little things that pop up and people, you know, I've, I've made a friend recently. Uh, we're going to go for coffee in a couple of weeks. I met her through one of these these networks and yeah. she's in a similar situation to me. And I'm just loving that I've got this kind of rich network of people that I can kind of draw knowledge from. Yeah, yeah, it, can't, it certainly can't be understated. Uh, but Amy, as we come to the end of the conversation, um, I'd like to ask you, what tips do you have for those either considering whether a standalone role in L&D is right for them, or perhaps they've just started out in, their, in a new role? So at risk of, of beating everyone around the head with it, network, network, network. It's really important, mm. okay? Um, get yourself out there, make friends. Whether it's inter in inside the organization or outside the organization, just go for it. There is so much amazing stuff out there to get involved in. Just do it. Um, get listening to podcasts and read blogs and, mm. you know, all that incidental learning I talked about earlier that you miss out on in being part of a wider team. You find it elsewhere. You can go and find it. Um, mm. Reserve your energy. Please look after yourself. You can't do it all. Uh, remember those SLAs, remember your brand, remember what you want to be known for. Okay. Really stick to that. Um, and the thing I have to say, and I'm really deadly serious about this. L and D is not fluffy. It is yeah. not cute. It is not soft. All right. It's strategic. It's measurable. It matters. Um, being standalone, you've got the chance to really change perception uh, and pave the way for proper passionate impactful performance improvement in an organization. And it's so exciting. It genuinely is so exciting. And I do think everyone should give it a go at some point. You could end up building a team and this could be career defining for you. Or you could end up thinking, oh, do you know what? I want to get involved in this and this and this and broaden that, you know, that that thing that you're doing right now. And I just think there is so much opportunity in in the role and there's so much you can learn. And I think if you're hungry and you love what you do, just go for it. I really mean it. That's brilliant. Uh, I, I think that, uh, that that's both uh, inspiring uh, and hugely practical. Uh, Amy, thank you so much. What was left for me to say is thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning and Development Podcast. My pleasure. As you heard, the role of standalone L&D is both challenging and exciting and so different from working in an L&D team. It's an opportunity to grow and to build professional credibility whilst also pulling rabbits out of a hat. It has its limitations, but can be a great deal of fun too. If this conversation has whet your appetite for good quality L&D chat and you'd like to get involved, you can now join the L&D Collective, of which I'm an active member. Join me and hundreds of L&D peers via the link to the L&D Collective in the show notes. And if you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn, again, for which you'll find links in the show notes. And goodbye for now. 